welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. We're all used to team sports. You can't have nine pitchers on the field at the same time. Not everyone can be the quarterback. Someone has to play right field. Someone has to be a linebacker. Who's the goalkeeper? When everyone plays a role and all the roles are filled, the team functions as it should. The church is no different. Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series Propelled, the Serving Mindset, with the second part of Tools for Serving. Thank you for joining us today. Let me pray, and let's ask God that he would join us today and be the great teacher we need. Let's pray together. Father, we're going to ask you to teach us, and I'll be a, a mouthpiece to you and seek to be faithful and true to your word. But I pray that you, through your spirit, might work in our hearts and you might grab our hearts in such a way and grab our minds in such a way that we would be molded more into your likeness, that we might be more faithful to your call on our lives. We might end up being blessed, but most importantly, we ask this, that we might be able to honor you and make your name big. Father, I do pray for our friends that are among us today that still are trying to figure it out, still trying to understand, is it real, is it mine? God, make this the day. I'll keep praying it. Make it the day today that many come to know you. So we love you. Thank you for this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our series that uh, we are in leads me to ask a question. The question that I would ask is simply this. Do you believe there is a kingdom that has come from heaven upon this earth? Most of us who are Christians have prayed probably on many, many occasions, thy kingdom come. It comes right out of the Lord's prayer. You say, oh God, let your kingdom come. But it begs the question, do we really, really believe that there is a kingdom from heaven that's come to this earth? Do we really believe it? Now, if not, if we say, you know, honestly, I don't know. It seems a little mystical, weird. I don't know. I'm not sure. If that would be the case, it is a study in logic to me to conclude that we should then just focus on the personal kingdom of self. And then we should decide what is our greatest talent, our best abilities, and then say, how can I give myself to that one end of building up this kingdom for me because life is now and it ends, it's over. Get it now as best you can. Now, on the other hand, if we believe there is a kingdom that has come to this earth, it would seem to me, again, just logic, that we would be saying, God, I want to know what spiritual gift you have given me. Not just my natural talents and abilities. I mean my spiritual gift, which we introduced last week. And I'd be saying, I got to find it. I want to know it and I want to use it. How do you discover your gift? Now, for you that weren't here with us last week or review if you were, let me give you a definition of spiritual gifts. Here's how I define it. I call it a God-given ability of Christ. Now, Paul's there to say, do you understand that each of the gifts 
We're in the ability of our Christ, the Savior. He had all of these gifts, all these abilities. He's the perfect one. But then we go on to realize that God entrusts us to each of his people. He entrusts us with one of those gifts in order to involve them in the task of bringing healing to an alienated world. So there's the spiritual gift. God-given ability, we think, we assume and believe, given at spiritual birth, when a person becomes a Christian, they're given the ability to be used in that kingdom to advance that kingdom in some form or fashion. Now, in saying that, let me relate an experience I had a, a number of years ago. When I was uh, uh, coming up as a young pastor, there was a very, very, very wealthy, godly man in Texas who gave his life and every resource he had. He said, I'm giving it all to the kingdom. And he went after it, I mean, full throttle. And one of the things he chose to do with his money, small part, but an important one, is he started identifying Christian leadership who were in young, growing churches that for whatever reason he thought God would use. And he said, I am going to resource these young pastors in a very significant way. And he would invite us to gather together as a team to learn from each other. But then he would resource us with somebody from the outside that was impossible for most business leadership to be able to be with, much less Christian leadership as a church. On multiple occasions, we would spend a few days with a man named Peter Drucker. He's now deceased. Peter Drucker, though, for the younger ones that may not have been, you know, influenced by him, pretty much known as the managerial guru of the world, an incredible consultant, author, author of, I'm going to guess, 50 books. I don't know for sure, but incredible man. He really was a true Renaissance man. I've never been around anybody that I was more awed by in terms of just his breadth of understanding, knowledge, expertise of issues around the world, home, broad, doesn't matter, and issues of organization, leadership, whatever. Anyway, so I'm sitting there listening to him. And there was one thing he said that stands out among all things I heard him say. So much so that I was recently... I asked, uh, an author contacted me and said, we're writing a book on, on Peter Drucker and would love to have just uh, some memories. What were, the, what were some of the highlights, the things? And the first thing that came out, I said, I can tell you what hit me more than anything else. I've lived with it ever since. Said, What's that? And this is what he said in his deep German accent. He said, I have never yet met one person Of all the great leaders I've met around the world, I've never met one person who could do three things really, really well. Not one person. He said, I've met a few people who could do two things really, really well. Not many, but a few. But he said, everybody else I've met really can do only one thing really, really well. But he said, here's the interesting thing. The people that have made the greatest impact in their realm of life, of these leaders, the ones that made the greatest impact were never the two talent people. They were people who had one great thing, one thing. But what was unique about these people, even if they weren't the most gifted in that one thing, but they identified it and they gave themselves most wholeheartedly to that one thing. Those are the ones 
that made a difference. They found their one thing and they gave themselves most wholeheartedly to it, more so than any others. They made the impact. Now, I want to speak to the Christian here. Christian, would you not agree and believe that as believers, if God has given us one thing, if we wanted to make our greatest impact, our greatest single contribution to his kingdom, that we would figure out that one thing? I think we would. If you're like me, I I don't want to have a wasted life. I want to avoid the wasted life. And if that's going to happen, I think I'm going to have to figure it out. And you're going to have to figure it out if you have the same desire and say, okay, how can I give myself most wholeheartedly to that one thing? I think it's to be agreed by most of us that it would be very, very, very illogical to say, I am a child of God, but I'm really focused on my kingdom. That just doesn't make sense to me. Neither does it make sense to me that we would say, you know what, I am a, uh, I'm devoted to the kingdom of God. I really am. I'm devoted. Let's just, let's just take the world with God's kingdom and then say, but you know what, I, I'm not sure what my gift is. I know God's given a gift to every Christian. I know why he did it, but I, I don't know. It's not a big deal to me. I, don't, I think it's overrated. I don't really care. No, we'd be saying, what's my gift? Help me find it. I want to figure it out. I got to know. And that's what this series is about. We're calling it Propelled, if you're new with us. Propelled, a serving mindset. But I said day one, don't think mindset, period. You got to add to that. Mindset, good. Got to get the right mindset. But then you got to have the right tool set. You got to have the right tools. We're going to call those tools different things, but tools. And then once you get your tools in hand, now you're ready to discover, okay, where is my workshop so I can go use my tools? Where I live, where I work, where I play, who is it, where is it? How do I find the place that I can best use my tools? Now, this last week, we were in week two, the prior week, week one, we started with mindset. Last week, we introduced tools. And we're going to stick with tools through the series to the very end. And we'll talk a little bit about the workshop. But right now, we're talking about tools, and I suggested last week that there are three primary tools. You find them in God's Word. The first two we're not going to elaborate on, but the third one we're going to dig deep in. Let me just show you the first two as review, or if you're new with us, to understand. Number one is our lives. Don't ever forget the greatest tool that God has given to you and to me is the tool of life. Broken people in this world need resources. They need a lot of stuff. A lot of help. But for sure, the single most important thing they need is someone to come along relationally, get tight enough with them, and offer their life to them. We talk a lot about that in this church, life on life. We talk about life on life discipleship. And most of the church knows this is a church committed to life on life missional discipleship. And that's in the training of Christians to be able to, to be growing up strong and turn around and do it with other people to give their life to other people. But if you're among us a little tighter in the leadership and particularly the staff of this church, they're going to hear me saying, look, 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 life on life is not just in missional discipleship. No, 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 no. Uh, we do life on life shepherding. We do life on life in every way we can. We try to push it down. How do you get more to life on life? Because that's where the impact is made. It's really called love. 
It's saying, I want to give you what I've got to help you, who I am to help you. Don't ever underestimate how a life impacts another life. So I, I said last week I'd show you a little animated uh, and a little animation that, that tells a three-minute story of life on life discipleship. But I want you to watch this now. We've got our screens back now. So I'm going to invite you to watch this three-minute video. And as you do, think and hear life on life mission discipleship, but think in terms of more than just the discipling, the training of Christians. Let's broaden our minds to life on life in every aspect we possibly can. Watch the screens. I think you'll see what I'm talking about. Why is it that countless churches excel at preaching and programs, but struggle to make mature and equipped followers of Christ? Churches typically go from preaching and teaching to deploying. We tell people what to do, then send them off to do it. But the problem with proclamational leadership is that it sends out believers who aren't yet trained and matured. It leads to discouragement, disillusionment, and disengagement. Jesus didn't direct and delegate. He discipled. He didn't merely inform his followers by sharing his knowledge. He transformed them by sharing his life and having them join in his ministry. Jesus modeled incarnational leadership, discipling his men, joining them in the trenches while preparing and coaching them to multiply and to be sent to the front lines. We call it life-on-life missional discipleship, and we believe it's the missing middle in the life of the church, the center of the hourglass. Preaching, teaching, and small groups deliver great truth and create meaningful fellowship. But life-on-life missional discipleship equips us to go from belief to maturity, leadership, and impacting other disciples and the lost world. Without Christ-like discipleship, Christ followers cannot become kingdom leaders, and congregations can cherish the word, but can't change the world. Remember, when God wanted to build his church, he didn't send a program to implement. He sent a person to imitate, and the life that Jesus lived, the model he gave, was defined by life-on-life missional discipleship. Jesus shows us how to think big, start small, and go deep. He pursued a big vision for the world by selecting a small group of men and investing deeply in their lives. As Paul says, we shared the gospel with you and our lives as well. This is the heart of discipleship. When people who are being conformed to Christ share their life, they pass on Jesus' life. The life of Christ leaves a legacy of generations and the gospel spreads around the world. That's why life-on-life missional discipleship groups are unlike traditional small groups. They focus on life transformation, not just fellowship or knowledge transfer. They're small, with four to six people who are carefully selected and highly committed, and they multiply. We make disciples who can go and make more disciple-makers. As each leader goes on to raise up more leaders, and those leaders raise more leaders still, the growth of the movement is exponential and explosive. This is not a novel idea or a quick fix. It's simply the way of Jesus. It's not a new method, but an old method with new people. Jesus said to go and make disciples of all nations. As we've focused on life-on-life missional discipleship, the blessing has been profound. By God's grace alone, we're seeing life-on-life missional discipleship movements rise up throughout the United States and around the globe. Wherever God's plan is followed, we see new believers, new leaders emerging, and congregations impacting their families, neighborhoods, cities, and nations. 
Discipleship was Jesus' model, his method, his mandate, and his mission. There is no plan B. Good. I hope that indelibly imprints in your thinking the importance of life. Think of life as a tool, all right? Number two, I'm going to say nothing about it, but I'll put it up, our material and financial resources. Number three, which we began last week, was our spiritual gifts. As we talked about spiritual gifts last week, we talked through three aspects using multiple texts to go into this. But let me read those three without comment again so we can move to number four and five, our final two. Every Christian is given at least one spiritual gift to be used in rescuing broken people. You got it? You got it? All right. Number two. The Holy Spirit is the one who supplies the gifts and he does so as he pleases. Got it? All right. Number three. Christians have differing gifts, and no one has all the gifts. Now we move to a fourth important insight understanding that we need to just spend some time talking about. Every gift is given for the purpose of glorifying Christ and edifying the church. I want to give you two scripture texts that I think are very critically important. The first is found in the book of Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. It reads like this. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. And then a second text, 1 Corinthians 14, 12 says, So also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, Seek to abound for the edification of the church. I just want to give you kind of a caution. When you start walking into an arena of spiritual gifts, discussion, emphasis, whatever, and you start hearing that the person of the Trinity that seems to be lifted up the most is the Holy Spirit, I would say be very, very, very careful. You may be getting into an arena where it won't be very healthy. The focus of Scripture is to the second person of the Trinity. They're all three persons equal in power, substance, and glory. No doubt about that. But Christ is the exalted one for whom, he says, these gifts have been given to bring honor and glory, which is the design of the church to bring glory to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is working to enable us to do a better job of that. So just a little caution there. Here's the bigger caution. The bigger caution is watch out when in the environment of spiritual gift teaching or emphasis whatever, you start seeing that really the emphasis is on what it does for the owner of the gift, the possessor of the gift. Where it now is edifying me to use my gift. That's why I use my gift. It edifies me. No, 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 no. It's for the building up of the body of Christ. So you will find that there are certain gifts that it's just going to be very easy, particularly in gifts such as, um, oh, I don't know, uh, tongues and healing. In fact, think about it this way. Some of you that have been in the church, church is a long time, okay? Church has been a part of your life. It's very common to hear of movements of the gifts, 
There's healing movements. There are tongue-speaking movements. Those are very common. Now, I have a question. Have any of you ever heard of a giving movement? Or a serving movement? Now, I don't hear movements emphasizing those gifts. That everybody's got to go with those gifts. No, not really. And what's so easy to happen is we can turn the gifts back to edify self. We just have to be careful. I'll move on from there. Let's look at number five and our last one. Emphasis on spiritual gifts often leads to division rather than unity. Division rather than unity. Now, this is the story, without walking through the whole book, this is the story of the city, church, or the church within the city of Corinth. We have two letters written by Paul to the Corinthians, the church at Corinth. The first letter particularly, there was so much emphasis there on giftedness because after the people had understood and knew about gifts, they began to run with it, but they were running in directions that were not accurate according to the truth. And so the apostle Paul has to come and say, whoa, 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 good, good, good topic, good stuff, but whoa, whoa, let me rein you in. You're getting out of bounds in certain arenas. You need to understand certain things. Is it just, isn't it just like the evil one to take something that God has given to his church for the purpose of bringing unity to the church? Everybody joining together and using their gifts for the task of bringing kingdom to this earth. Isn't it just like him to twist it and use those very things to bring all kind of division to the church? That's what he does. He's got strategies. And as it deals with the gifts, I'm going to suggest four strategies. A lot of this just kind of how I would see it and put it together. But I want you at least to, to kind of think of these things. So you're aware as a Christian, as you walk into the realm of this subject matter of spiritual gifts. The first of four strategies, I think you see the evil one use. Number one is gift projection. Gift projection. Now that's where a person identifies their giftedness. They begin to use their gift and they see unusual favor and blessing on the recipients. God just uses it in people's lives. And and so they get so excited, particularly about seeing what's happening in other people's lives, that they begin to project that gift on other people and say, you've got to have this as your gift. This has at least got to be your emphasis. This is the way you ought to spend most of your time because I've noticed that this works best when I devote most of my time to this area. You will experience the same if you will do the same. And that is wrong. That is gift projecting, and we do not want to do that. Number two, I call it gift cop-out. That's where we say, you know what? I don't have that gift, so I don't have to do that. Are you talking about giving? Oh, I don't give because I don't have the gift of giving. Oh, you're talking about serving? (laughs) Now, if I had the gift of serving, I would be serving, but I don't have to serve people. That's not my gift. I'm a giver. And you can walk right through them. Oh, I don't ever teach anybody anything because, you know what, I'm not a teacher. Now, I've just mentioned three gifts of seven that are found in what I think, hear this, I think is a very unique text about gifts. 
There are five different listings, text that lists various gifts. They seem to crisscross and there's no order, rhyme or reason. Maybe there is to some degree and we're not sure. But if there is a place that there is a very reason for just the listing that's given, I would suggest it's probably Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 6. We're going to come back to this in just literally a few minutes as I close. But I want, to, I want you to see this listing of these seven gifts. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now, there's no other listing of texts, of gifts in the other texts, where you can say each of these gifts, there is another scripture somewhere in God's word that admonishes us to be faithful in the use of those particular gifts. Now, this particular one, you can find a text for each one, in fact, multiple texts for most of them, <clears throat> that will tell us, oh, we're all to give, we're all, we're all to, you take the whole list. We all prophesy, we all this, we all, really? Yeah, yeah. We all do those things. And we can't use it as a cop-out to say, oh, I don't show mercy because that's just not my gift. No. We all do these. But some of us are gifted and I think, well, all of us that are Christians are gifted. And my personal belief that may well, 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 well be wrong. So don't take this one to the bank. I think every Christian has one of those seven. As I give you some listings of gifts, groupings coming up in just a minute. One of the groups has a list of motivational gifts. And it is believed by some, and, and I tend to lean in this direction, that every Christian maybe has one of those seven motivational gifts. Not everyone has the other kinds of gifts, but that one, I think everybody has a motivational gift. Now, I would just simply say this much. That may be true, it may not, but I would at least, as you're trying to discover your gift, I would look at those seven very, very closely and look and say, if God does give one of these seven, which do I think it would be? And I would explore that one in depth to see, is that a gift God has given to me? And then if we're wrong on this viewpoint, fine, go to other areas, other listings. But I would start there. I just think it's a good starting point. That's my personal opinion, okay? So, gift cop-out. We've got to be very, very careful. Third of the four different strategies, gift envy. And simple to say, that's where we go, oh, my, my, it looks like God gave me the gift of X. And I'm watching them with the gift of Y. And I think that's a lot more exciting than X. I think I'll just spend my time on Y. And I'll just... I'll get that gift one way or the other. Folks, trust me on this one. Everybody loses when we do that. Everybody loses. So, so you don't want the envy and say, I'll go after and manufacture somebody else's gift. Number four, and that is gift disputes. There's just a lot of disagreement in this arena. I have spent untold numbers of hours studying this subject of spiritual gifts. I mean, a lot of time. And still, 
the vast majority of the details we're talking about, I go, I'm not really sure I would probably lean here or there. All of that to say this, from this point on, what you're about to hear, they're not big, big issues. I think it's important for you to be introduced to this. But the big issue is God has given gifts to his people. Every Christian has at least one gift. We need to decide what that gift is and then employ its use full speed ahead. That's the only thing that's critically important to get. But I think you'll find this maybe interesting and maybe a bit helpful as well. So let me give you uh, four different disputes. Number one is the extent of the gifts. How far do these gifts extend? And, and basically one view is what you see in the five listings, those are the gifts, period. There are no more. That's called the closed view. An open view says, no, those are gifts. And the reason you see such random, they're just throwing some here, here, they're just throwing gifts at different places, the authors are, illustrating the gifts. But the gifts can go well beyond what you find in Scripture. Maybe they're gifts in music. God uses your music as a spiritual gift. Maybe it's carpentry. Maybe it's, who knows what it might be. And, and so you find your gift in those arenas. And some people push against that. Who knows for sure? I tend to lean toward the more open view. But I'm not real strong on that. But just so you know, you'll read debates and you'll say, What's, it's not that important. So let's move to the second one. Continuation, or I might call it duration of gifts. In other words, the, and we're really now talking about a very controversial issue, and that is the gifts that are, are, are more supernatural. Uh, they're the gifts that are uh, often called sign gifts. There are those that believe that, hey, the gifts were given and nothing has changed. So all of those gifts that you see in Scripture, even those that are the, 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 the more miraculous gifts, they're still today. So if, if we had the faith and the belief and the everything we need, I'm telling you, if they're dead people, you could, you could actually go to somebody truly dead and been dead for a while, and you could actually raise them because that happened in the New Testament. Or somebody is totally blind. Maybe, you know, whatever, just maybe no eyeballs. And, and you know what? They could see. They could have new ones created by the miraculous. No harder to do that than to walk on water or other things that you saw as miracles. And they just keep going. There is another view that is very much the opposite of that. And it says this is the cessation view that no, those those miraculous type of gifts, they have ended. They don't go on today. And here's the reason why. And this is true. Do you know that the gifts come in Scripture in four major clusters? And each time at the end of those clusters, there is revelation that's given. You have in the Old Testament, you have Moses come along and all these incredible Miracles, you know, opening of the Red Sea and the plagues and all these things. Great miracles. And then you have the Pentateuch, which he's the author of, and it verifies. Then you see an Elijah and an Elisha come along. And you see these incredible miracles. What happens? Then you see the prophets. Then you see a period of time, and now you see Jesus come and all of these miracles that Jesus does. And what happens? Revelation, the Gospels. 
Then you see the apostles, and the apostles have all these miracles. And what happens? We have the recording of what we call the epistles. Now there's no more need for verification of Scripture. Scripture has been fulfilled and completed, or has been completed, and therefore no more need for the miraculous. There's a third opinion. And by the way, this one is where I land personally. The third opinion would simply be this, that all the gifts still exist, but the more miraculous gifts do not happen in the same heightened way, though they still happen. One way, one person puts expression of this, his name R.C. Sproul. I highly respect R.C. He's a tremendous theologian and, and gifted teacher. And uh, I was talking to him one time, and he said, I believe that all the gifts exist, but, but they're not in the heightened way. And I'm not sure he said all the gifts exist. I think he did. I don't want to put that in his mouth. I don't remember that, him saying that, but we were talking about it. And he said, I think that the gifts don't longer exist in the same heightened way. And he says, what I mean by that is I don't think the miraculous happens, but I think the supernatural happens. So I said, what's the difference? Well, miraculous is somebody has no eyeballs and they have created eyeballs. He said, I've had my organization go all around the world investigating all kind of the miraculous. And he says, I find a lot of the God doing the supernatural, but we can't find truly the miraculous. He said, now, if you are you're blind, that means somebody blind all their life, but it's because there's no blood flow. They still have eyeballs. They still have, and then all of a sudden God does the healing and there's a healing and they begin to see. He said, oh, I believe that happens. But I think there's a difference between God doing what is natural in a super way but no longer is there a need for miracles. Now, who, again, I'm not going to argue strongly for that, but I just want you to at least understand there are different views. The last thing of the strategy I would call the categorizing of gifts. At this point, if you're a note taker, this is going to be one of the more frustrating moments of your life. So just give it up, okay? You can go on our podcast. You can go on our website to messages. You can go to the Perimeter app. And go on messages, and all of the notes are there in each of those, each area. But right now, I do want to just show you four different ways that, that gifts are categorized. And there's some good insights maybe from looking at this. Number one, uh, based on 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7, I won't read the text, but in there you will see that there are three different groupings of, of, uh, of gifts. And one is defined as motivational, one is ministry, one is manifestation gifts. Uh, If this be the case, I mentioned that everyone might have a motivational gift. My motivational gift, I know it's leading. I know that's the gift God has given to me. Now he's given me a ministry gift because I happen to be in the church put in a position of a, a ministry role that I have a gift and that's called pastor teacher. You'll find it in Ephesians 4. And so I express my motivational gift through the ministry gift, something that as a result of that, people discover and find and develop their gifts that are more the manifestation of that teaching role or whatever. Now, that may be a long shot to believe that. Who cares? doesn't matter. But at least it gives you a little idea of why we might want to be looking at the motivational gifts in Romans chapter 12 as a first step in identifying what our gifts may be. Number two, we see a second category. Um, 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11, some divide the gifts. And this text seems to kind of group them where you think, okay, speaking, serving, and support gifts. Why do I even show this to you? If I'm trying to decide my gifts, I see no problem. Why wouldn't we say, you know, let me just at least get it into a a first bucket. 
And I, I guarantee there are a lot of you here, I say, any chance you have a speaking gift and you'll scream, no, I won't talk in front. Of, I don't even like to talk to anybody, much less to, you know, several people or I, I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not a speaker. Okay. Then you're probably not going to have a speaking gift. All right. So now you've just boiled it down to serving or support. And maybe you say, all right, which do you think? Well, I think probably more support is my, okay, good. Then, then you look at the gifts, and we're going to go through all the gifts in this series, and I'll try to give you a definition and some questions to help you decide, hmm, is that mine or not? We'll just try to explore together. The third grouping, no specific text to this one, but just some say the gifts can be put in prophetic, priestly, or kingly gifts which are really speaking, serving, or leading gifts. It's just another three ways to look at gifts, to put them in buckets, to start determining, I wonder what my gifts might be. And you can see how they would relate prophetic to speaking, priestly to serving, and kingly to leading. The fourth and final one is the one that I'm going to use through the rest of the series. Not that I'm just sold on this is the way God intended to give gifts. I think it's a great way for us to explore gifts. I would like to put the sign gifts into its own category so I can address those in one given time. So we're going to first look at speaking gifts, then we're going to look at serving gifts, and then we're going to deal with sign gifts because there's a lot of confusion that I think needs to be addressed at least for one little week to make sure that we as Christians kind of understand the broader teaching. So that's kind of the use that we're going to, or the plan that we're going to take. Now, having said that, that takes us to the last of our big categories, and that's defining the gifts. There is there is all kind of conflict because people disagree. Well, I don't think that's what that gift is. I think that gift means this. Well, certainly I'm not going to be the answer to all the dispute through the ages. But I've studied this enough that I can say, I at least tell you what I as a teacher believe and I'll give you the definition of those gifts and we'll explore into them. But fortunately for this church, I am one that will say, hey, I may not be right. I'm certainly not I don't have this nailed down perfectly. Nobody does. Watch out for the person that says, this is it, and anybody else's idea is wrong. Not true. But we do want to get into these gifts and really see, what does God mean? Why did he hold that gift out and give it a name and talk about it? It's so that people like you and me, so that we can discover those gifts. So that's what we're going to do. Here's how I'd like to close my text. I'd like to, I I would like to have a, a summary flyover. I want us just to get the big, I do not want us to get lost in the field of trees and see the tree and tree, this tree, but, and miss the bigger picture of the forest. We need to understand this. Here's how it works. God designed every one of us, Christian and you that are seekers, every one of us, God put humanity on this earth with the design that we would be a people that would turn back and reflect his glory and lift him up and honor him. And make his name great. All of that went south in what's called the fall. And in the fall, we became a broken people. As I've said earlier, we're alienated. We're alienated in all different ways. We're alienated spiritually. We're now in rebellion against him. In alienation to him. Psychologically, there's some of us here who we are fine physically, you know, but let me, and even Christians, and we've been restored with him in that way. But, but our minds, I mean, literally, we may even be mentally ill. We have a true mental illness. It's real. And we hate the way we think and the way we believe and we just fight inside our minds. And then there are other people that 
that their great alienation of expression, their greatest of all, which we have them in all four areas, but people are broken in the sense that there is truly a social alienation. There's nobody here in perfect relationship with everybody. And some of us here can't sleep at night because of the broken relationship with somebody. It's just real. And then there's the physical. And all of us, every one of us have the body breaking down in some capacity, just some in extreme capacity, and some much younger than we would think would ever happen. Why is that? Because we are alienated to our own bodies. We have this alienation. And God says, okay, that's the, that's the consequence of the fall. But let me tell you, I have a plan to restore. And he comes in and he takes those of us that become his own and he restores us in salvation. And we're now redeemed, but it doesn't mean we're not still broken. But we're now a step ahead of the rest because they're not even restored They don't have meaning, understanding. And God says, now, I'm going to leave you on this earth while restored for a season. I'll take you to be with me at my various times, but I'm going to leave you. And your reason for being here is now you turn your attention full board ahead and you give yourself to the end that you restore or you help to to help a broken people who are alienated. And, oh, oh, I know you can't do that without tools, so... Here, let me give you this gift and you take this gift and you take, and we take those gifts and we say, now I'm going to give everything I have to making sure I go into life every day and I'm looking and I'm saying I'm broken too, but I'm restored and I can help somebody who doesn't know they're broken. And then they walk into their life experience and they take their gift as a tool and they say, here, let me help you. Oh, here, let me help you here. Let me help you. And we do that and they find this life that comes into their life and they find restoration. That's our prayer and hope. And God says, that's why I've got you here. And when you learn that, that's when your life becomes great because our own Savior said it, give and it shall be given to you. Some of us here, man, we're into our own kingdom. Let's get outside the kingdom. And for you here that are seekers, trying to find out the answer to faith, Christianity isn't real. You go to the cross of Christ. Don't look at others. Go to the cross. See what he did. Why did he do it? Ask the question. Until you see such great love that you fall in love with him, that's when you get your gift at that time. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're going to ask you that you would help us, first of all, discover the gift of your love if we've never discovered it. May we all discover it in a deeper way. And then we ask you, Father, at the same time, Would you grant each of us who don't know our gifts to discover them even by the end of the series or at least to get much closer to it and those that know our gifts that we might find ourselves exhilarated with the idea of using gifts to honor you. So you bless us, we pray, as we endeavor to continue through this series and we pray in the great name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day. Thank you.